Annyeonghaseyo. Welcome to Afternoon of Delight. We're Leah, Megan, and Amy, three American romance novelists discussing all things K-romance from a writer's lens. We fangirl over our favorite actors and actresses, talk up our trope addictions, and nerd out on K-drama deep dives. We'll throw in a few K-pop and K-skincare recs for good measure, because why not ride the Hallyu wave all the way to shore? So grab some deck bookie and listen to your new favorite unis. Hey, everybody. Hello. Hi there. It's all three of us back together. Yay! All three of us back Woo-hoo! together. Yeah, it's been three episodes of it not like that, right? The gang's all back. Yay. So Leah looks a little different. Except we're not all in the same spot. Yeah, I am in Michigan right now. And I have a very ergonomically friendly podcasting setup today <laughs> where I am kneeling on the side of my bed in my childhood bedroom. And if you hear noises, that cannot be helped because my mom is a loud talker and it's coming through the vent in the bedroom. And so there's nothing I can do about that. So everyone just say hi to my mom who is talking loudly to one of my children downstairs. If you hear that. Hi, mom. (laughs) I actually can't hear her, but that's fine. I guess I get it. I get it. Well, the podcast is still young. The podcast is (laughs) still still young. Some exciting things happened this week besides the fact that I got on a plane for the first time since January 2020. I flew to Michigan with my kids and then we got free like comp e-vouchers on Southwest that had to be used by June 30th and I had two. So my son and I flew to Chicago to check out the city. It's only like a 45 minute flight from the Detroit airport. And so while we were there, we realized, well, we had, we realized the day before (laughs) that, you know, we could see our favorite Chicago podcast host in Chicago, which was so exciting. Yeah, so my kids and I hopped on the train from the suburbs on Monday morning, and we trained down to the city and met up with Leah and her son at the Art Institute, and it was a lot of fun. And we went, like, you know, you come to Chicago, you got to eat Chicago food, so of course we took Leah for some super, super classy Auntie Anne's pretzels in an underground train station. (laughs) Hey, I was jealous. You sent a picture of the Andy Ann's pretzels. And I have to say, I loved Andy Ann's pretzels. Don't you remember from my birthday? We know. She's, yes. that's, what she, that's what Leah said. Leah's like, wasn't this Megan's birthday plan? Like she just wanted to go to the mall and have a freaking pretzel. Yes, that was my birthday plan. And I will say that. So this Auntie Ann's pretzel place was not in a like very overt location. We definitely, these were hidden. They call it the hidden Auntie Ann's. And it was, it ended up being down. My kids, yeah. my kids call it the hidden Auntie Ann's because they had found it a previous visit to the city so they're like let's go to the hidden auntie ann's okay yeah (laughs) so this will live in my heart it was down by like one of the train stops off michigan avenue and i will tell you how grateful i i wish i had mowed a lot more auntie ann's i was kind of trying to hold back because i kind of felt like i was going to eat a little bit later in the day however after we saw amy our luck ran out Amy was our lucky charm and her kids. And they were like, oh, it's too bad. Like, you're not staying. It would be great if you stayed. And we're like, it was so fun. I was like, maybe we should just come back. But we got to really go. Like, it's a one-day flight. I got to work tomorrow. And then probably 30 minutes after we saw them, I got a text from the friendly folks at Southwest that were like, we've canceled your flight. Bad luck to you. Call this number. And so I called. And they're like, you know, someone will be on in seven minutes. So I'm like, let's just walk to the Field Museum. Maybe we'll see some, like, dinosaur bones while, like, we sort this silliness out. I was on hold for like an hour and 45 minutes. And as Amy knows, I live on the edge when it comes to having my cell phone charged, which is always Let's not exciting. even talk about the cell phone. <laughs> she did not charge her phone the night before flying to Chicago. <gasps> <laughs> <laughs> that kid 
gives me actual anxiety, like in my chest. So I was kind of having to like hop like hop around and find charging like spots to charge it and that's crazy so anyway i ended up in the field museum lobby where i charged my phone and southwest basically said too bad so sad you're not flying anywhere until tomorrow and so i booked us tickets on the greyhound i did a quick pivot and have never done the Greyhound and decided, you know, why not take this time to live adventurously and ride the bus back to Michigan. So that's what we did. And then right when we went outside, my son was kind of getting quite nervous about the Greyhound. He's pretty COVID safe. As Amy saw, he really, you know, and good for him. I mean, he likes to wear his mask. He's vaccinated, but you know, he's more, he has more anxiety than he probably needs to, even though we're taking it seriously. Like I don't want my son to like have panic attacks unnecessarily. And so he was getting a little agitated and I was kind of trying to like keep it light. And I was like, look, this is fine. This is fun. He's like, I really just don't know if it could get any worse. And right when he said that this like bolt of lightning struck soldier field. And then all hell broke loose and like the heavens opened up and just like this torrential rain came down upon us. Oh, it was so bad. It was hilarious, actually. So I started just laughing really hard because I don't know if I've, I mean, I don't think I've been that wet since like maybe like a Hawaiian monsoon. It was unbelievable how much water came out of the sky in a short amount of time. So anyway, that was that. Yeah. What was really funny was when I woke up that morning to get the kids ready, like the weather, like if you looked at the weather forecast, like the five day forecast, it was just on and off rain all week this week. And so I'm like, well, we're just going to chance that we're going to bring our umbrellas. And when I got up to get the kids ready to drive to the train station, it was pouring here in the suburbs. When we get to the train station, it's like a little tiny bit of a drizzle. We get on the train and we train on down to the city and we get out of the train station in the city. And it's like blue skies. <laughs> And we had dry blue skies all the way, you know, walking the mile plus to the Art Institute and then walking to the Hidden Auntie Anne's and then walking back to the train station. And we get on the train in the city and we're waiting for it to depart. And I get Leah's text. Yeah. It's like, um, this is what it looks like outside right now. And my flight is canceled. And literally, like, we did not see a drop of rain until we were back at the train station and in my car. I mean, I really was the good luck term because... We were fine. And it was so, I mean, so random. So yeah, I was like, you should have stayed. I'm like, I have internet. <laughs> I have video games, you know. Mira let me know that many times. I'm a little jealous because I like, I just want to come eat at the Hidden Annie Ann's. That sounds like, like my favorite. I'm definitely coming to Chicago and you will take me there because I said so. You are welcome anytime. My kids love Annie Ann's as much as you do, Megan. Like that's all, like there's an Annie Ann's in the train station where our train went, but that's not the Auntie Ann's that we ate at. The hidden Auntie Ann's was a different train station. So I said, if we can't, you know, we're on the train to the city. Yeah. All that my son can say is like, are, are we going to get uh -huh. a pretzel? Are we going to get a pretzel? And I'm like, yes, dude. We're going to get a pretzel. I promise if we don't find the hidden one, we're going to come back to the train station. You can get one on the way back on the train. So yeah, he, he had his pretzel and he was very, very happy. They're just greasy and special. And I, they're yeah, delicious. And well, yeah. they used to have one in my mall growing up. And I remember I would sit in the food court in the mall <laughs> and watch them make them. Like that was like really fun. I know <laughs> I'm a simple child, but I love that. So anyway, <laughs> So I'm coming to Chicago sometime. Screw those hot dogs and deep dish pizza. That's right. <laughs> the one thing I will not give you in Chicago is hot dogs on a pizza. You can be sure of that. So, Oh, thank God. Yeah. 
but I will say, so we got on the Greyhound and there was not food by Greyhound. So no deep dish. And then as we took off, I was like, well, I'm not sure if we're really going to eat again. And oh, we did get to eat. We stopped at Love's Truck Stop in Marshall, Michigan. Shout out to Love's. And the new sponsor of the show, which is Hardee's, which I don't know if any of you know of Hardee's. We had a Hardee's in my town when I was growing up. I We still have one Hardee's that I know of it, right by my house, actually. I didn't know Hardee's were still in business, and they certainly are. So shout out to I'm the shocked. Hardee's in Marshall, Michigan. <laughs> I'm shocked that the Hardee's near us is still in business, honestly. I've never gone there in my life, never gone there. I just know it's there. Gogun Chan is a young woman who supports her mother and sister with odd jobs after her father's death. Her short hair, boys' clothes, and rough manners often lead to her being mistaken for a guy. Due to this false impression, a young playboy named Choi Han Kyul hires her to pretend to be his gay lover to scare away the blind dates his grandmother has set up. Han Kyul is a professional designer for some sort of Lego brick-type company back in America, but his grandma has had enough of him living his best life. It's time to get serious. They own a food import company that does a brisk trade in coffee sales. She asks him to prove himself by managing a rundown coffee shop or else. So Han Kyul rises to the challenge, deciding to hire attractive male baristas known as princes to reel in female clientele. Un Chan maintains her false male identity to become a coffee prince employee. The charade becomes increasingly difficult as she falls in love with her boss. But she also loves her coworkers and the money she is making, so she is reluctant to confess the truth. Han Kyul is both surprised and confused by his romantic feelings towards another, quote, man. Alongside the main story, we have smaller plots that follow various baristas as well as Unchan's mother and sister. Additionally, there's a secondary romance between Han Kyul's cousin, Choi Han Sung, played by the butter-voiced Lee Sun Kyun, who is a music producer, and his on-again, off-again girlfriend, Han Yuju, played by the stunning Che Jung An, a free-spirited artist who was also Han Kyul's first love. Han Sung also catches some feelings for Un Chan, so there are some messy romantic complications that feel very realistic for 20-somethings in a city. The drama turned out to be an overwhelming smash hit, with ratings as high as 32.1% in Seoul. Want to visit? You can see the first shop of the Coffee Prince in Seoul in the Hongdae neighborhood. If you go inside only for taking pictures, you will be refused. TripAdvisor says it really looks like it did in filming, but owner and staff are grumpy, but I guess they have a business to run, right? You should order drink at least a cup of coffee to get your photo op. It's a bit pricey too. The Americano is 6,001 or $5.30 and lemonade will set you back 8,001 or seven bucks American. Okay, but in all honesty, who goes in there to take pictures and then doesn't right. support the business by buying a drink? Right. Come on. I even buy a fry at McDonald's when I have to go in and pee because I'm weak and I just feel bad. <laughs> so TripAdvisor folks are fairly brutal and they come down really, really hard on like it's badly reviewed because of this fact, because folks are grumpy for them going in and trying to do the photo op. Oh my gosh. I support this place. You can be rude. Seriously. You tell them to or buy a $6 coffee. I will get myself an Americano and a photo op when I go. I'll even spring for that lemonade. <laughs> All right. Well, let's have a spoiler-free section for folks who haven't, you know, seen the drama and we are going to convince them to get in a time machine and go back to 2007 to check this out. So this first part, we're going to talk about the drama in a way that's not going to give away key plot points. So feel free to listen and we will tell you when we pivot to the spoiler section. So what is your initial hot take on this drama? What brought you in and did it live up to your expectations? 
I definitely came for Gong Yu as being a hardcore Goblin fan, having watched that drama twice already. And I stayed because, yes, Coffee Prince lived up to my expectations and far, far exceeded them. It was way, way more than I thought it would be. Yeah. So when I first heard about this drama, I kind of latched on to the, you know, woman pretending to be a man. And that put me off of it for a long time. It's my least favorite trope, mostly because Hollywood has ruined it. You know, there's several Hollywood movies, mostly from like the early 2000s. It's always, you know, a pretty girl who like wraps her boobs and deepens her voice and says like cringy boyish things or what she thinks are boyish things like bro. And I don't know. So to me, it actually always seems to reinforce the gender binary rather than break it. So I held off watching Coffee Prince because that was sort of like my own prejudice about that trope was stuck in my head. But once I started watching it, I realized immediately that I'd been wrong. This really isn't a woman pretending to be a man. This is a person being exactly who she is and other people putting labels on her from their own limited worldview. I guess, of the gender binary. So I was honestly blown away by this drama and ended up loving it so, so much. It exceeded my expectations. Unchan has really soared into the list of my top favorite heroines. And Amy and I went into this one after our Goblin Love-a-thon, where we just couldn't get enough of Kim Shin, aka Gong Yu. And when we jumped into this, we, like we quickly almost pieced out, didn't we, Amy? We did. We did. That is true. Yeah, one or two episodes in when we were in that like grind of like the whole Unchan being like the gay lover disrupting dates premise, like I was afraid I was going to have to give it a hard pass. I was just like, this is going to be a garbage fire and I can't condone it. But we decided to give it one more episode and thank God we did because right after that, like almost piecing out, I became a goner as the magic took hold. Yeah, Absolutely. We were both worried going into it, too. We're like, this is a 2007 drama. How is it going to treat homosexuality? And we didn't want it to make it a farce, right? And so that is what we were afraid was happening in those first couple of episodes. But then, Megan, like you said, this was not a story about a girl pretending to be a guy. It was Unchan being Unchan. And it was Han Kyul falling for the person who was Unchan, whether or not that person was, you know, defined by a societal construct called gender. Coffee Prince came out in 2007. A lot of older dramas feel more problematic or the fashion and hair looking at you boys (laughs) over flowers might feel too dated. Does this drama feel dated to you? So not only did it not feel dated, but it felt progressive even by today's standards. I'm currently watching Secret Garden, which released three years after Coffee Prince, and Secret Garden feels like it's 20 years older. Like the idea of loving the person and not the gender, of Go and Chan being someone who didn't feel like she fit into the prescribed mold of male or female, this is something that would impress me in a 2021 drama. So to see it in one from 2007 was an absolutely wonderful surprise. Although I am going to say that Han Kyul's fuckboy hair really killed me and that earring. I feel like he really looked like a John Hughes character. <laughs> <laughs> he was totally Rob Lowe from St. Elmo's Fire. That is his aesthetic. <laughs> oh my God. Absolutely. I did like his hair. I'm sorry. I got to admit, it might be one of my top Gong Yu hairdos. I'm serious. It didn't bother me. Yeah, this is not Gu Jun Pyo in Boys Over Flowers. Like Lee Min Ho's hair like being set in rollers or curling oh every day. <laughs> Who did that? his hair it did feel in sinkish to me oh totally i absolutely i do agree with that <laughs> i do agree with that so yoon on debuted in 1998 in the k-pop group baby vox excuse me if i'm saying that wrong i don't know if you say it 
Baby Vox or Baby Vox. In 2006, however, she landed her first lead role in the drama Princess Hours. This performance shot her to fame as a young actress. After that drama's major success, she was offered the lead role in Coffee Prince. What makes the character of Unchan so compelling? So I think that I just love so much how this girl holds her own and that she really can like match wits with anyone. She has both emotional and physical strength and can probably kick anyone's ass in an eating contest. And I loved that she was the one that first gave Han Kuehl the piggyback ride. I thought that was such like a fun flip on that trope. And I think that we can't help but root for her because she is such a hustler. She has all these side jobs. She's committed to supporting her family. And, you know, it's that hustling mindset that gets her into trouble with the, quote, big lie where she claims to be a guy to get the job. But that lie also kind of did feel authentic to that time of life and that, like, it seemed like... It was a mistake, but like not a mean-spirited mistake. It was just kind of like her own issues that kind of like drove that. And I also just felt like she had this like infectious joy that spilled into everything she did, which made me totally understand how Han Kuehl was helpless to resist falling in love with her as a person. And so even though she made this poor choice and not being honest, like once he assumed she was a guy, I also felt some sympathy, much like I did for the cast in I Am Not a Robot. So... Obviously, Han Kuehl wasn't going to die if he learned about the deception, but I also understood that she had like a real fear of losing what she had with him that was so special by confessing the truth. So while it was like not good to uphold the lie, I don't know. I was able to, I give her a big pass for it. Yeah, I totally did too. Yeah. I mean, I loved her. I really felt like I related to her, you know, growing up, like what, I guess how Unchan presented herself. I mean, growing up, like I was called that because I was called like a tomboy. So I really kind of related to her. I related to how she just wanted to be herself and she wanted to dress how she wanted to. And But then there was a time where she kind of felt pretty and she put on a dress and wore a little makeup by the end. And, you know, she just wanted to be her and do what made her feel good. And, you know, I really, I love that. And, you know, it kind of made me think too, you know how we've talked in this podcast about characters who, what life they're on you know, from Goblin. And I feel like Unchan was definitely on her first life. Like everything was so special to her. Like when she wrote in his convertible for the first time and she- Oh, I love that. I love that scene. It was just pure joy. She was just having so much fun. And I felt like- they could have turned her character into maybe like kind of like a manic pixie in a way, but they didn't because she was such a great character that was all her own. And she was just, yeah, compelling. Like to me, it was completely believable that Han Kuehl would fall for her because I did. So what are your overall thoughts on how the show depicts gender identity and also sexuality with regards to the main leads? So I think that Han Kuehl said it best when he said, I don't care if you're a man or an alien, you know, that he wanted to go all in with this relationship you know, when he still thought that Unchan was a guy. So like after agonizing over whether he was gay when he thought he was straight, he just realizes that the label doesn't matter. And what matters is the person that he loves and he loves Unchan. So I really love that it didn't actually like he never came out and said, okay, I'm gay or okay, I'm bi. It was just, you know, the idea of I love the person. And again, something that I thought was super progressive for the timing of this drama. Yeah. So I like had a couple thoughts on this after I read this question. Like, did I think the drama could have come out and put a label on Unchan? Like, sure. But they didn't. And in fact, used 17 episodes to show rather than tell that people like Unchan actually exist. And I think that's what I loved most about it. It's like a classic example of like, show don't tell. You know, Unchan is someone that has gender identity that doesn't match the man-woman binary. And again, we had 17 episodes to show that. And I loved it. So I didn't really feel like I was being taught or I guess like 
chastised or something like you know shame on you you should know people like it just was a beautiful representation showing me gender fluidity yeah and i think like amy said this before it boggles my mind that this drama came out in 2007 and yet feels so much more progressive and inclusive and less repressed than many of the modern ones but for me i do think that like in my dream unchan would be overtly non-binary and never ended up like returning to the more traditionally feminine presentation like i don't think they went full there but I think they went there a lot more than I wish they had and I think that like I actually sometimes have a hard time using she her pronouns for the character because I really do want to use more of a they them but that could also just be like my personal bias that like I really wanted this to be like an overtly non-binary romance she even says to Han Sung like I'm not a man I'm not a woman I'm just me like she says that I love that so much yeah after he tries to dress her up and like really be like I'm gonna feminize you which shows really that he wasn't it right and and I love too again because yes she says it like it verbally the the show does verbalize that but also it shows us I mean you know what I'm saying it's not like she came out right away at the first episode and was like I'm not binary it's almost like she it's almost in in a new adult kind of way she's also finding out a little bit more I think she's confident in herself, but I also think that there's some things she learns about how others view her and kind of how to, I guess, handle that throughout the drama. So, yeah, I loved it. I just wanted to keep her in that cute little suit. The coffee prince suit? Like, no, actually, at the beginning when they were, like, doing the blind date, oh, she rocked, yes. like, those suits oh my gosh. so well. So at the end, like, when they kind of put her more in, like, feminine-type clothing for the final episode. Skinny jeans. <laughs> yeah, I wanted to see her back in like a cute little like tailored suit because it looked so good. I mentioned this later in our script, but I'll just talk about it now because one of the things that I wanted to see happen, we kept having those like daydream sequences where like Han Kyul was imagining like getting married and walking down the aisle and then there was Unchan standing there like as a guy. I wanted to see them have, you know, a wedding where she was wearing a suit. Oh, like a white suit? Oh, yeah. That would have been so cool. That would have been amazing. So Gong Yu made his drama debut in 2001 in the TV show School 4 after landing his first lead role in 2005, Hello, My Teacher, where he starred opposite Gong Hyo Jin, who we loved as Dong Bake in When the Camellia Blooms. He began to catch the eye of many casting directors, but wasn't sure about getting typecast as a romantic lead. He was considering going into the military before getting offered the role of Coffee Prince. And after his performance, he became a bona fide Hallyu star. What are some reasons Han Kyul isn't a stereotypical chable? This is really good that I'm talking about this after having just watched Secret Garden because Hyun Bin's character is like such the typical table in that. But in Coffee Prince, Han Kyul wanted his inheritance, but he wanted it so that he could fulfill what he thought was his real dream, which was moving to America to design toy bricks, which were Legos or not Legos because we can't say Lego. But for real, like, you know, he wasn't looking for handouts. He was looking to actually work and do the work, but he wanted to do what he wanted to do rather than what was prescribed for him. And also when his grandma didn't approve of Unchan, he didn't care. Like money was never the issue with the romance from his perspective. He also didn't come off as spoiled, only sort of discontented, you know, with his like set course in life and the direction that it seemed to be going. He never acted like he was entitled to Unchan's love simply because he wanted it. And he respected her even when he thought she was a man and earned her respect in return. So truly, I thought this was such a refreshing drama. And I don't think Anyone else could have played Han Kyul but Gong Yu. Because I, I just want to say that that was fantastic, Amy, because <laughs> I love all your points and agree with them. 
Thanks. Well, and I also like want to take a nod to like what I think, Megan, you keep reminding us as we do these podcasts about like the true nature of an alpha, like not an alpha hole. And in this, I think we have, you know, Hong Kyul, you know, being played by Gong Yu as like this true, really fantastic alpha in that you know, he is a natural leader, like, you know, all the princes love, like everything kind of does revolve around him, even though he's like somewhat, you know, he's flawed, he makes mistakes, he has bad moods. But, you know, he's got this like factor that like makes everyone kind of like orbit around him in that space. And yet he is so, you know, he does have respect, like he's a joker, and he has like a sense of humor. And yeah, he can be crabby or whatever. But like, at the end of the day, I feel like there's just these like, really sweetly sincere like elements he brings to the character and also just this like sense of playfulness like it doesn't surprise me that he had an original dream to like be a knockoff lego brick maker <laughs> like he is a child like he sits in his house and like plays with little like plastic toys <laughs> i know i loved that that was his job like i have to admit i love that that was his job that was really cute it was very endearing, right? Like very endearing. Like he, cause he was like just kind of like a child at heart and he wasn't, he didn't come off as, and again, I'm going to compare it to Secret Garden because I just finished that. Like Hyun Bin's character in the beginning of Secret Garden, he's like the untouchable table, right? And even like to the extent where even when he starts having feelings for the heroine, he's like, why do I like you? Like you have no money, you have no career, you know, like this kind of thing. Whereas that is never an issue. The only thing that is ever an issue is. Han Kiel's confusion over falling in love with somebody who he thinks is not a woman and what that means for him. And so, yeah, I just love that the whole table aspect of it had nothing to do with the romance. In fact, the first scene, I don't know if we talk about this anywhere else, but Amy, I'm going to give it oh, to gosh. you. The first scene is like a very kind of like lighthearted, but also incredible. Like how many, just take it away, Amy. I know that you really like this moment. I was going to say, later in the script, when you're like, any final thoughts on the drama? And I'm like, the towel. When Unchan has all of her varied jobs, and she's a food delivery person, and she delivers something to Han Kyul, and he is just out of the shower in a towel. Not showering in a towel, by the way, like in My Love from the Star, but has just put his towel around his waist. That's how they first meet. And he is, I mean, I don't know if this was like a directorial choice or if we just got lucky, but like there is a towel shot <laughs> where he's sitting down on the couch and man spreading, man spreading. And I don't know if we see anything, but I definitely peaked. It reminds me of like, <laughs> so I'm just going to tell when I was younger, there was a movie called Now and Then. I don't know if you guys remember that, but Devin Sawall was at his teen heartthrob peak in that movie and there's one point where he's like running in a towel and he like has to squat to pick something up and i was i mean i remember being at a sleepover with my friends and we were pausing it like we <laughs> just the moment where he squats to see if we could see anything which I, I mean i'm sure we can't we couldn't we just we thought we did though we would all be like we see something but anyway it just made me think of that <laughs> It kind of just goes back to, you know, talking about this drama being progressive in so many ways, where we all came into, you know, the K-drama world through Crash Landing on You, which was so super chaste, you know, and it's only a couple years old. Then you go back to 2007, and we've got, you know, man spreading a towel shot. We've got some, you know, really progressive things happening, and, and I won't ruin stuff that we'll get to spoiler stuff later. But I just like going back to 2007 and watching this makes me realize that there's so much more, I guess, that they could do in later dramas 
and they seem to have gotten more chaste since then. Is that? Yeah, it probably, I'm wondering how much it has to do with really the fact that like, as Hallyu took off and these dramas became more popular, they wanted to really expand the reach in like different countries and different markets that are even more conservative than South Korea. And so we really see that spin away. I mean, cause yeah, by the time we get to Chloe, we're at like full, full chase. <laughs> <laughs> like they're in chastity belts, essentially. Yeah. He's in the spare room. Or they don't even like have private parts, I guess. Seriously. No, they don't. They're just like Barbie Barbie dolls. dolls. Yeah. They're Barbies. Well, before we move to the spoiler section, look, I think we would be completely remiss not to shout out Kim J. Wook. So Megan, specifically, I'm curious on your take because Amy and I watched Coffee Prince before coming to her private life, whereas you did the opposite. So how do you find Coffee Prince Kim J. Wook as opposed to her private life Kim J. Wook? If you listen to our Her Private Life podcast episode, if not, you can go listen to it. I mean, I I like Kim Jae-wook. I just didn't, I don't know. I wasn't like feeling it from him. And now that I watch Coffee Prince, I really, really wish that I had watched Coffee Prince before Her Private Life because Coffee Prince, Kim Jae-wook was like a whole nother ballgame. I mean, he is seriously beautiful, just a beautiful species of a man. And I loved his like totally kind of like aloof attitude about everything. His like over it, you know, eye rolls. I just I loved him. And I I thought he could have used more screen time and like maybe even a kiss. I would have liked to have seen some kissing just like I yeah, because I loved that. Like, I think that was one of the reasons I had to go to antique so much was that I think he still kind of had a lot of the aesthetic of coffee prints like his looks where I you know in that antique which we did a snack on was good and I think it was fun and it's grown on me over time but I still think it could have taken me place I think I just needed a lot more Kim J. Wood like I, I I really wish I could go on a time machine and watch him be Hedwig when he was Hedwig in the Angry Inch I think that would have been absolutely amazing but I loved his black fingernail polish that doomed love that he had. He had that progressive laid back vibe. I love that he knew right away that Unchan was not a man always because he's smart and like with it. <laughs> and I like his smirk and he can make me an Americano anytime because literally I was just like, I would have been one of those like girls chasing the waffle cart. The waffle cart. Oh my gosh. Yes. And like, I liked his ponytail. Like I'm not usually a, a dude with a ponytail girl, but like, man, could he wear the fuck out of a ponytail? He should always have a ponytail. Always have. A, he should always have a ponytail. Like always. You know what? I probably would have thought a whole lot differently too, if he still had that ponytail in her private life. Let me just say. Ryan Gold could not have had a ponytail. That would yeah, not- Ryan, Gold, <laughs> Ryan Gold would have hurt me if he had a ponytail. <laughs> <laughs> but he could have had black nail polish always. Yes. Okay, and now we're going to get to our favorite segment of the week. It's the K recommendation. And today we have Leah with her K skincare rec. Okay, so this is just a quick one. But I, when I'm not in Michigan for most of the summer, you know, most of you all know that at this point, I'm living in California full time. And we go to San Jose occasionally to go to Korean grocery stores, mostly because my daughter is learning Hangul and likes to practice Korean. So while I was at the grocery store, the last time I was like, you know, I should get some like grocery store, like K skincare and just like see what it's all about. Just like, you know, grab some stuff off the shelf. So I grabbed this little tube of something that is 
called Nature Republic, and it's the Bulgarian Rose Moisture Essence, and it was really cheap. It was like four or five bucks. And this stuff is, I love it. I seriously super love it. You know, like I sometimes like you do like rose water spritzers on your face or something. So it's got kind of that vibe to it, except it's less than a serum because it's an essence. It's just very light. So it's not pure water, but it's not as heavy as a serum. I guess that's literally the definition of what an essence is supposed to be. <laughs> and so it does this like hydration to and nutrition to the skin. And it's got kind of like this like refreshing little gel feel and it just goes on really quickly. It doesn't feel sticky and it gets absorbed really quickly. And I put it on after toning, but before applying any heavier product. And I feel like, honestly, it's just been like such a good cheap little find that I feel like I want everyone to use. Like my mom has really dry skin. And so like last night when she was getting out of the shower, we're all in like the one bathroom upstairs. It's just like being a kid again. I like came in to brush my teeth and I was like, let me just put this on your face. And like immediately I could tell like that there was like softening happening, which made me feel good. So that's Nature Republic Bulgarian Rose Moisture Essence. And I don't think you have to like get it at a grocery store. Like I looked it up and like you can get it on Amazon. You can get it at all sorts of places, but it's cheap and nice, which is always a winner. I've never used anything with rose water, but I feel like I always hear people talking about using something, whether it's an oil or a spray or something like that. So I need to look more into this and what is the benefit of rose water because I'm interested. Yeah. And it smells vaguely grandma and vaguely good. Like we have this like funny thing in our house where like I like lavender, but my husband has always thought lavender smells like... I hate it. I hate lavender. Yeah, Nick is not into lavender at all, whereas I think it's quite nice. I like planting lavender. I like having lavender. I put lavender in drinks a lot. And he thinks it just smells like elderly. I think rose water, we come out in the same. So I put it on thinking it's all nice. So then he's like, okay, I guess I'm committing you to like a retirement village. (laughs) (laughs) There's your ARP card. (laughs) So there we go. The ARP ARP wreck of the week. (laughs) Just actually quickly as a side note, do you know that you anyone can get an ARP card? You do not need to be of ARP age and you can get the discount because I went to a hotel like a month and a half ago and I saw that there was like an ARP discount and I looked it up and I just applied for ARP right there on the spot. So now we are moving to the spoiler section of the podcast. So if you have not seen Coffee Prince and you do not want to hear any spoilers, this is the time to get on the off-ramp. If you are open to hearing how the drama goes, stay on. Or if you've seen it already, obviously stick with us. So again, this is your last chance. If you do not want to be in the spoiler section, this is where you sign off and come back when you've seen the drama. Okay. So the chemistry between the leads was off the charts. What's a moment in the drama that lives in your mind rent-free? I mean, I think about this all the time. And it is the kiss against Han Kyul's apartment door before they have sex. I love it so much. And I also love that the ensuing butt grab by Eun Chan, because she grabs his butt while he's carrying her to the bed, was revealed in the Coffee Prince reunion to be improv. It wasn't in the script. And she was so embarrassed when they brought that up because they went back and they're like rewatching clips. And I think it was the director who was like, that wasn't in the script. And she's like, oh my God. But it was so in the moment and like such amazing chemistry and so goddamn sexy that yeah rent free in my mind forever i mean his butt's just right there how can you not just go in for a grab I and mean, like real talk i just i deeply believe and no one will convince me otherwise that they were not sleeping together in real life because the chemistry was just so good if not i mean look honestly people can act but i just feel like they were getting it at all times because it just felt like so real 
I want it to be true. Yeah, I want it to be true. I'm just going to, it's true in my mind. I mean, yeah. So for me, the chemistry in this drama was absolutely one of the best in a romance drama was some of the best chemistry that I've seen. Truly, there's a lot of dramas that did not do it for me just because the chemistry is lacking. And we've talked about that. One of those was her private life. I just was not feeling the chemistry. But this one, oh my gosh, just chemistry oozing from their pores. So one of my favorite scenes with them was the beach scene. Maybe isn't like a chemistry scene, but I still oh, felt... No, it is. It's so good. It's so good. It is. Because it's almost like there's this like unspoken chemistry between them, but they're having fun on the beach. And then she falls asleep on a blanket and he, he just stares at her. And you can tell like that's when he really officially kind of falls for her. And he's, but, he, but he's conflicted and he isn't sure what to do because he thinks she's a, she's a man and he doesn't know what that really means to him. And uh, I mean, it's just... It's so good. It's such a good scene. It's just really powerful. And there's like no dialogue. There's barely, I mean, that's what I'm saying. It's just all emotional acting. It's the buildup of their relationship that really starts to, you know, spill over. This is why Gong Yu is the goat in so many ways, because like there is like that whole part where you realize that he's just like completely falling for her there's no dialogue during any of that because she's asleep i remember when you got to that scene because leah and i were buddy watching this but she was like an episode or two ahead of me and she texts me and she's like tell me when you get to the beach scene you'll know when you're there just tell me she's because she's like i'm losing my mind and it was it was so powerful like so gut-wrenchingly emotional because like his heart is being torn apart because he loves her and thinks that he doesn't know himself anymore which i think that's a really powerful thing too you know we talked about a little earlier about how this is you know like I think, Megan, you mentioned this is Un Chan's sort of journey of getting to know who she is herself and how she identifies and stuff like that. But also watching Han Kyul, you know, he's a little bit older and, and realizing that maybe he doesn't know himself like he thought he has all these years. And that was just so super powerful. And there's not like shame. It's just more just like conflict. Like I think they did a really nice job of like he's not grossed out. There's no like gay panic happening at this moment. I feel like there are some whiffs of gay panic elsewhere in the drama a little bit mostly with like when he goes to see the psychologist, but I actually felt like they handled that really well too with like a wag of the finger because like the psychologist is treating it like you, so you have an abnormality and that like didn't speak to him either. So that's why he had to leave. So I thought that was also a good progressive take, but I felt like, you know, from the beach scene, it kind of like the next like part of that emotional arc that goes really well that I wanted to talk to is that like classic famous moment from the drama, which is, you know, the first kiss in the coffee shop where, you know, he comes in and he's like so bewildered and he's like in his little yellow, like fuckboy early 2000s sweater with that hair and in his little tight sweater. Cause I have rewatched the scene <laughs> so many times. He's got his little like heaving chest and like the aesthetic is really nice because he's in this very yellow sweater. And then behind her are those like yellow sunflowers. Cause she's painting sunflowers in the coffee shop. And then she's got like paint on her nose and he does this like run at her and like holds her face and goes in for the kiss. And then like, you know, is telling her like he doesn't care if she's like a man, woman or alien, like he's into her. And, you know, Megan, I know you didn't feel the chemistry and Goblin like Amy and I did, but Gong Yu brought the running kiss to that drama as well. And look, he just does it so well. There's something about him doing the running in kiss that just like, it's amazing. It is. <laughs> Did you guys watch Coffee Prince before Goblin? Nope. No, after. Like his kiss before he goes off into like the great snowy purgatory where he runs at Unchan and like grabs her and does this like big kiss, even though. You mean Untak? Untak. Untak, sorry, Untak. When he grabs her and gives her this like big kiss and it's like this running grab kiss. 
And then later when she like, uh, like there were two running kisses in Goblin that were amazing. And I feel like this was like the predecessor to that. Like, I don't know if this is like a signature move he has, but it should be. It works. It works. Keep doing it, Ganyu. I don't think anyone's ever running kissed, grabbed me before. (laughs) I don't know if that actually exists, but. (laughs) We would like it to. He was so sexy in this. Like, yeah, I really want to know like who dressed him the stylist because or who like tailored his clothes because everything he wore in this drama fit him like a glove i mean we're talking like tailored clothes like were they perfectly made for him or what because it was like well we don't have you know a traditional female role so we don't have to spend the money on her clothes so let's just put our male lead in the best fitting clothes because he just looked so good and maybe that was another reason i was super into gong Yu in this because he wasn't wearing like eileen fisher like he was <laughs> like he wasn't he wasn't in like his leisure wear with cardigans like, or not, he wasn't, like, not young a cardigan sick. insight oh come on his <laughs> his style game was hot in goblin there were the few you know yeah the few his eileen coats. fisher moments okay his coat, 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 coat game yeah he had great coat game no, his whole game, his whole game in Goblin, his whole game every time he shows up and breathes. I mean, like, yep. I could put him into, like, Young Six track suit from when the camellia blooms and he could probably rock it. Oh, my God. Even me. his bloody suit in uh, Train to Busan. I I mean, he wore oh, that. He wore the shit yes. out of that, too. Seriously. And then even, and I don't think you have, either of you have done this. So on Vicky, there's still the, like, So I Want to Talk, the Lee Dong Wook. I watched the Gong Yu. Yeah. Oh, you did? So do you remember? So in that, so Gong Yu did have a style mishap, I will say, in that. Where, do you remember he had the hat he wore that looks essentially like the tip of a condom? What? So it was, like, skin tight. And then it came up to, like, a little tiny point on top of his head because they were driving <laughs> in the car. Oh, are you talking about when they were on Jeju? They were in Jeju and they were driving and they were singing he revealed his love for emotional power ballads and he was like really singing the song wearing his little like condom tip hat and i will say that wasn't maybe like the best style choice but anyway i digress let's continue that did not bother me but that's okay okay so how do you feel that unchan never confessed to han kyul that she actually like wasn't a guy it didn't upset me and i i think we talked about this a little earlier is that it never felt like she was doing it maliciously like she wasn't playing the role of a guy for any malicious intent. She truly was worried about losing this job because she needed to support her mom and her sister. Yes, later when she knew that he felt something for her, it gets a little muddy, but I still am able to forgive her because of what an awkward position I feel like she felt she was in. I was never angry. I think that Han Kuhl reacted appropriately, and I'm glad that he wasn't just like, oh, you were a guy and you didn't tell me it's okay. Like, I'm glad that there was some major drama and some major conflict there. But just like he forgave her, I forgave her too. Yeah. So, I mean, here's the thing. She was young. And they do mention several times, like a lot of the characters call her a kid. And she was young. And this was like her first love, really. And so she didn't quite know how to navigate those feelings. She didn't know how to navigate telling him the truth. And that felt true to me like there were many times where I'm like sweetheart you gotta tell him but I also understand that she really felt like a lot was riding on her I mean Han Kyul has a whole family with a lot of money to fall back on like he has a safety net and she really didn't she didn't have a safety net like he did because she was the sole provider for her mom and sister so I think she was really 
conflicted there. She didn't want to be alone. She didn't want to lose her job. And so, you know, I was kind of okay with it. I will say I did like, again, like what Amy said, I did like that he didn't just, you know, forgive her just quickly. That wouldn't have been believable to me, but it was kind of like I am not a robot where in that drama, Kim and Q had every right to be so angry when the truth came out and the drama didn't hold back. And I felt with Coffee Prince, again, the drama did not hold back. And yeah, to me, I think it was a mistake. But like both of you said, love is messy. People are imperfect. And I look back to my early 20s and I made a lot of choices that I think now with more maturity, I would have probably done differently. But yeah, I think the character rang true for like that period in life and being more motivated to keep the secret out of fear and being out of depth with these like humongous feelings that, you know, they're experiencing for the first time. What are your thoughts on the fact that the other baristas all knew and they all knew before Han Kuehl did? I think the fact that everyone knew the truth before Han Kuehl, including his cousin, made the thing so much more impactful as the viewer because, you know, I would be cringing in my seat at like Han Kuehl's obliviousness. And I feel like it definitely increased the tension for me and helped magnify the fallout when the truth came out because, you know, not only was it like completely like crushing in some ways to Han Kuehl to like realize that like Unchan hadn't been open with him, but the fact that it's like kind of also humiliating when like everyone that you work with that's kind of like, you know, meant to be looking up to you also knew this, but also even more so the fact that he's always had this kind of like vaguely competitive thing with his cousin, his older cousin, and the fact that his cousin knew, I felt like that was a really good scene when he went there and he's like, did you know? And he was just like, so gutted that like his cousin knew who like, he's always had like, kind of like a tricky relationship with and that like, just emotional blow really sold it to me. Yeah, I agree about the ratcheting up of the tension only because it seemed like when each person found out, it was like a domino falling, getting closer and closer to Han Kuehl. So also, I think we should take a moment and acknowledge Lee Eon, who died in a motorcycle accident at 27, not long after the drama completed. So he played the sweet, if a little dumb, kind of like the dumb lug Min Yup, who crushed hard on Un Chan's little sister, Un Se. So any standout memories from this talented actor who was gone too soon? I loved Minyup so much. I loved that character. He was so, like you said, like adorable and sweet and dumb. (laughs) And was so sad to find out that he died because we always, like when we're watching dramas and we love actors, we look and see what else they're in. And when we found out that he had died, it was very sad. And he was so funny and sweet. And the scene that I love is one that's really early on in the drama when he and Eun-chan have the eating contest. She eats him under the table. And I don't know why I love this so much because we've talked about like in Boys Over Flowers how we could not stand Jan D's like angry eating and how she just shoveled food in her mouth. But this scene was just so funny and endearing because it was like a brotherly, sisterly kind of relationship that they had throughout because he was the one who always knew that she was a girl because, you know, he was crushing on the sister. So I just, I loved their dynamic and I love that it started out with basically Unchan having this sort of upper hand over him in this eating contest because he's this big dude and Unchan is not big by any means and she just totally owns him. And I think also she isn't an angry eater. Mm-mm, she's not, no. So <laughs> going back to Boys Over Flowers, The aggressive eating was always like put in with her just having like some sort of like stressed and angry moment where she just like, oh, the angry eating and boys over flowers. But yeah, no, Unchan was just like smashing food. And that's a totally different thing. 
I like the whole characteristic of Unchan being like a big time eater, like a huge appetite. She just always ate everything in sight. I really love that. But anyway. But wait, wait, one more thing is that remember how sweet it was that moment with like Hong Kyul, like after like when they had their falling out and they weren't really talking and then he like tried to eat like her at one point because he missed her. So he got like this big, huge pot of food and a huge spoon and he tried to eat. It was just really was sweet. so cute. But anyway, about Min Yup, I mean, I appreciate that the directors took every opportunity to get him out of his shirt. I mean, that was huge. He's a really ripped guy in this drama, but I adored him. He was just such a lovable goof. There was one scene where he gets Kim Jae Wook and another barista to like pretend rob his angel, Eunsei, so that he can rescue her. And I <laughs> such a it's so stupid but i like it's so funny it's so funny and i mean i knew right away i'm like that's kim jay wook with a hat like what is happening and then i was like oh yeah they staged it but it was so cute and he saved her and came to her rescue and yeah it was just i just loved him so obviously i was really sad to hear about his death too and then what were your thoughts on the ending for the second lead couple I'm never over them, not only losing their baby, but then not being able to have any more kids. Like, yes, this happens in real life. And it's good to represent that these tragic things happen in real life. But it felt like a slap in the face to Yuju for not being the typical mom-to-be and wanting to be both you know, a creative artist, but also to have some semblance of a domestic life. She could have had both. And it felt like the drama was saying, no, she couldn't. Yeah. So I was really iffy on Yuju in the beginning, but I came to really love her. She was unapologetically all about her job, very career driven, and she never wavered on that. And I thought her relationship with Han Song was very messy, but also real. So to me, this drama really showed the various ways couples communicate and how none of them are bad as long as they work for the people in the relationship. But my main beef was actually overall with the drama was the miscarriage. It was unnecessary and honestly felt really cruel to me. Like the writers were punishing and and Leah had said this as well and so did Amy, but the writers were like punishing Yuju for being career driven. It was just, I hated it. I really truly did. And in my mind, I kind of try to forget that that didn't happen. I'm not even saying like they had to, I don't need a couple to have kids, but I would have been fine if they just never got pregnant. Like, you know what I mean? Like just let them live happily. But why did you do this like cruel thing to them? I just want to pretend it didn't happen. So they either lived happily with no kids or they lived happily with kids. I'm going to pretend that that's the way it happened. And I do want to add to, because I, you know, I, I talked about just the miscarriage, but I do want to agree with you, Megan, in that I did love that couple. Like, it was a great, you know, we had this sort of, you know, budding new romance with Han Kyul and Eun Chan. And then with Yuju and Han Sung, we have like a messy second chance romance. And I really love that we had, you know, these two different couples in very different places in their lives and in very different places in their romances and still you know, sort of a satisfying arc for both of them. So I I really did enjoy that. But yeah, I'll never be over the miscarriage. And then what about your thoughts on the ending for the main couple? So look, I'm fully satisfied by the romance. I am. It was glorious. But the I'm staying in Italy for another year fake out was not necessary. (laughs) So when we're talking about like the very end, like I'm happy that they have a happy ending, but I hate that part of it. And what about all the times that Han Kyul imagined, like I said earlier, having to get married to someone that his grandma approved of. And then at the end, you know, of the aisle saw Un Chan when he thought she was a man. Why didn't we get the wedding for them where she could have worn something that was not a big frilly dress, but something that was very Un Chan. So I will, you know, talk about that until, you know, my dying breath. 
But we got the second Leeds wedding. So I was just kind of like, why not the first? It was weird to me that we got a wedding for the second Leeds. And then we have their sort of, you know, bittersweet end that I wanted that same, you know, sort of celebration for the main Leeds, especially when it was alluded to in Daydream sequences. So just give me what you promised, K-dramas. I'm looking at you, the King Eternal Monarch. (laughs) (laughs) Hashtag never over it. Well, I I will first say I totally agree on the wedding thing. Like, I would have loved to see that. And you know what? From now on, the image of Unchan in a white suit is just and white tux is just going to be in my head. Like, you know, I'm just imagining it because I love that. But I know I'm kind of the odd one out here, but I actually loved the ending and I kind of like the fake out. (gasps) How dare you? How dare you? I know, I know. I know. I I mean, it it was totally mean. It was. But then it felt really real. To Han Kyul and Unchan's relationship, they teased each other relentlessly and played tricks on each other all the time. And so... But he had waited two years I for know, her. I know, I know, I'm, I'm, I know, I'm a bad person. But I... And he was, he, he wasn't having fun. He was heartbroken. I know. <laughs> I don't know. See, I actually didn't find him. He was like, I, he seemed more resigned, I guess, to me. I interpreted I his response a little differently he was a little bit more resigned and i think he was like obviously upset but they he was still like he wasn't just like lying in his bed like crying about it he was like out doing stuff he was just smiling i don't know so but i think the only thing that was good about that is that it showed that he still supported her right that if she really yeah. was staying another year he was like okay i'll wait for you still yeah. but still it's a shitty shitty thing for her to do i mean it is but I felt like he'd already supported. I felt like that was like an unnecessary moment because like the arc of him supporting her and letting her go had already happened. So then like we just had to like sit there and be banged down. Like it just felt pointless. No, I agree. I will say I thought it went on too long. Like I think it would have been okay for him to be like meeting her maybe. And then she calls and she's like, I actually have to stay. And he's like, oh God. And then he like turns around and she's there. Like I would have preferred. Yes, that would have been fine. That's teasing. I do agree with you guys on that. So I, I, and part of this could be because you guys had already, I had already heard the ending, which is totally fine because we talked about it in the endings we want to rewrite. So maybe I was like bracing myself for him to be way more heartbroken. So when he was just kind of like, oh yeah, I don't know. So I think that was part of it too. It probably is because I already knew what was coming. So it didn't feel, you know, but I will say I love the reunion at the coffee shop, kind of where they all like pick her up. I really enjoyed the the whole cast in this. So any last thoughts you need to get off your chest? I mean, just because I'll say it again, like, let's give one more mention to Gong Yu in the towel in episode one. Thank you, K-drama gods and goddesses for that. I, <sighs> I kind of just wish the panning could have just been a little bit, you know, <laughs> we needed a, we needed a tighter angle. <laughs> <laughs> I tried to look repeatedly. I li- he was like drying his feet. Like, I love that. They were like, it was like showing the leg. Like, that's another thing too. It just felt, well, it felt female gaze. It yeah. didn't feel, you know, like sometimes you watch these like movies and it's like what a man thinks women find attractive on a man you know what i mean and whereas this just felt like because there was something super sexy about him just man spreading in a towel drying his feet like that actually was super sexy and it was i love that too it felt different and i also thought that like the whole thing was fun because like yes it was sexy and yes it was like kind of risque because he was like very undressed but also it kind of like heightened that like moment for because like Chan was not thirst trapping when she was beholding this she was like deeply uncomfortable but in a way that like it worked because he just thought he was like hanging with a like a bro and like getting his fried chicken so like he's like doing all this stuff in his like little tiny towel not to like make her uncomfortable 
even though like for the viewer, we know she's like kind of dying inside, but she doesn't realize. Yeah. I just like the whole thing. It was complicated and fun. So does anyone have a book rec for this week? So I actually want to recommend a book with a non-binary lead, and that is Every Day by David Levithan. And this is a young adult romance, so a teen romance, and it's a few years old, so I'm going to read the blurb. But essentially, we have a main character, so there's a little bit of magic going on here. We have a main character who is just sort of a consciousness, and every day, and the reason why it's called Every Day, this main character who's only referred to as A, A wakes up in a different body, and it's the body of an actual person. And basically, A's consciousness borrows that body for the day. I don't remember if we ever find out why this person makes these sort of jumps into bodies or if they have a body of their own. It's been like a decade since I've read this. But anyway, so that's the sort of premise of it. So every day, a different body, every day, a different life, every day in love with the same girl. There's never been any warning about where it will be or who it will be. A has made peace with that, even established guidelines by which to live. Never get too attached avoid being noticed, do not interfere. It's all fine until the morning that A wakes up in the body of Justin and meets Justin's girlfriend, Rhiannon. From that moment, the rules by which A has been living no longer apply because finally A has found someone he wants to be with day in, day out, day after day. And so it's just this really cool idea of, you know, when we talk about loving the person, like this person, whoever A is, is in a different body every day. So, you know, does A identify as male or female or not at all? It doesn't really matter. All that we know is that A loves Rhiannon. And so it's, yeah, just a really, really cool idea. David Levithan is a great YA author and it's a series too. So I think that there's also one that's from Rhiannon's perspective. Then there is actually a second book as well. So highly recommend Every Day by David Levithan. Cool. It sounds really good. So what are we watching now? I think I already mentioned a couple times that I just finished Secret Garden. I was going back to my Kim Eun-suk backlist. It's definitely one that I think would be fun to talk about. I don't know if you guys will ever watch it. It is, I mean, we talk about, you know, the sort of classic K-drama with all the tropes, like Kim Eun-suk threw every single trope, every single cliche at this drama. And it was a fun watch and very, very weird to see Hyun Bin 10 years ago and not at all like Captain Rhee from Crash Landing on You. So it was, it was a fun watch. I'm kind of like trying to figure out what I'm going to watch next. So I've watched Hospital Playlist, loved it. I'm watching Hospital Playlist 2 as it drops now, which doesn't make me sad, actually. Like I didn't think I wanted to watch an, a drama that was still going, but for Hospital Playlist, it really works. And there's such long episodes that like I feel kind of good that now like every Thursday could be my Hospital Playlist night. I finished Move to Heaven, which we're going to deep dive, so I'm not going to say anything about that. So I'm kind of trying to decide what I'm going to watch next. I'm leaning towards Reply 1994, and maybe I don't normally double fist dramas, but I might also watch Oh My Ghostess because they both have characters from Hospital Playlist. And I'm obsessed with Hospital Playlist, so I might watch that. And then I'm also going to watch some historical movies. I'm going to watch The Handmaiden, which has Kim Tae-ri, which I loved her in Mr. Sunshine and in Space Sweepers. And then I'm also going to watch A Frozen Flower, which is a Goryeo love triangle. And both of these have like queer characters. So Frozen Flower is about a love triangle between like the king, his male lover, and the queen. And the handmaiden is, I think, going to end up being kind of like a cool, slightly erotic girl love movie. So I'm excited to try both of those this weekend. 
That sounds awesome. So I am currently watching Flower of Evil. I'm obsessed. It's amazing. That's really all I want to say about it. We're going to do a deep dive on it. Absolutely. Lee and Amy have already seen it. It's one of their top dramas and it definitely almost, well, almost definitely will be one of mine as well because it's just so good. So next week, we are going to deep dive Fight for My Way, which I can't wait. I mentioned how much I loved the chemistry in Coffee Prince. The chemistry in Fight for My Way, in my opinion, is right up there with Coffee Prince. All right. Well, what do you want to say? Thanks for listening, everybody. Samida. Thank you for listening to Afternoon of Delight. Make sure to subscribe for more great K-Romance conversation. And be sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Afternoon of Delight Podcast for more information on our podcast, behind-the-scenes photos, and, of course, pics of our favorite opas and unis. Annyeong! Annyeong!